Hello, my dudes. Wow, welcome back to Previously Gifted. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed last week's episode with D'Angelo. It was really fun to record a podcast like that, and I'm definitely looking forward to interviewing more people for the podcast. I think, um, first of all, it's something that I want to work on in terms of like practicing a skill. I want to learn how to have an engaging conversation with someone for the purpose of uh, sharing it with other people, I guess, and also getting into the brains of the creators that I really enjoy. So today, I just wanted to, to catch up because this is my first solo podcast since uh, <laughs> literally uh, my last podcast before the D'Angelo one was in January of 2020 and it's September. It's late September. Um, to say that I have a lot to go over would be a bit of an understatement, but today is actually not going to be much of a life update. I actually have a lot of like media <laughs> reviews that I want to share. Um, and I'm going to talk about what it's been like being back in school for my final semester of my college degree. So we will get into that. First of all, I want to say, um, <laughs> I have been trying to sort out my microphone because some people have said, you know, there's a lot of mouth noises, which I can hear. I have headphones on. I can hear them very closely. I apologize. But um, from my research, I think that this microphone is actually too sensitive. It picks up too much noise. And I've tried to mess around with settings and stuff. I'm not going to bore you with the details, uh, but there's not much I can do because I'm not in like a controlled podcast studio with like noise absorbing stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and this microphone is just so sensitive. Shh, don't tell her I said that. Uh, so yeah, I might try to get a new microphone soon that hopefully will not pick up as many mouth noises, but for that, I apologize. And I also want to... <laughs> address a comment that I saw twice on the last podcast. A few people said that D'Angelo and I were saying like too much. And to that, I want to say just, just as a little practice, you know, pull out your phone, turn on a voice record, a little voice memo, and try to talk about something for 10 minutes and see what you say. Uh, I know that saying like is a bad habit, and I have definitely heard myself in videos. I think it's worse when I'm having a conversation with someone because I'm just like trying to explain like what I mean and like, you know, this. I know, I hear it, <laughs> but also in the moment I'm not hyper aware of it because, oh well, you know, this is just the way that I've been raised to speak, unfortunately, or whatever, it's fine. So I apologize, I guess. <laughs> Actually, let's, let's see this. I don't apologize. Um, I'm not sorry for saying like, but if it bothers you, I hope that you can get past it. <laughs> That's the most passive aggressive way to address something. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that's that because, you know, I don't know. It's funny. But back to the pod. This is very exciting. Um, I've been waiting all week to record this. I've been very busy. So we can get into that. I'm back in school, as you know. Uh, so yes, in January, I had made my first podcast episode in a while saying that I was starting my senior year and now it is September and I am in my final semester of my bachelor's degree where I'm going to get my BA 
in media studies. So it's been a long time coming and I'm very excited for it to be done. Um, obviously this semester is very busy. <laughs> There's a lot to do. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, yeah, so this year I took classes in the spring and that was the start of my senior year officially. And then I took two summer classes. Was it just two? Yeah, I think so. And then I took, I'm taking five classes right now and they're all film and media. And a lot of the film and media classes overlap and can kind of be counted as either or. So yeah, I'm in five film and media classes. They're all upper level classes to fulfill the last of my major requirements. And then I also have essentially what is like a film minor. So yeah, I'm just overloaded with media this semester. I wish I had saved some easier classes for my final semester because that would be nice. But also, you know, oh well, no regrets. So I, <laughs> I had very little choice in which classes to actually take this semester because um, it all depended on which classes were offered and I have very specific requirements. So I had spent the time like, okay, I need this requirement. I need these classes, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to go find them and it was literally like, you have one option for this and that and this and that. Hope they fit into your schedule. So luckily they did. I got into all the classes that I needed and um, the actual content of the classes was completely unconsidered because... I mean, unconsidered, is that a word? I, it was not a consideration because I didn't have a choice. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to not even necessarily enjoy these classes, but uh, you gotta take them and you gotta get through them and then you're done, right? So what's more motivating than that? So uh, <laughs> I finally got to see my syllabi and see what sort of stuff I was working with. And essentially I have to watch a film screening for every single class almost every week. So that is four to five required films every week. And that's a lot because some of these movies are an hour and a half long. Some of them are two and a half hours long. So <laughs> right away when I was planning all the work that I need to do, it's like, okay, I've got, you know, Zoom lectures, of course. And I actually don't mind them. And luckily, <laughs> again, because we're watching films on our own time it's nice because then the like the actual zoom synchronous portion is like maybe an hour and a half or two hours for almost all my classes so that's actually not too bad because once you do over two hours on zoom at a time it's just so not fun everyone's over it I don't want to sit in front of my laptop watching other people's faces for that long you know unless I'm watching YouTube or all of my other content <laughs> So the Zoom classes are actually not that bad. And then most of my classes have some sort of like writing requirement or like blog posts and responses regarding each film. So that's not too bad. And then, yeah, the films and also lots of reading. So <laughs> again, yeah, I was planning out like, okay, all of this is due by Tuesday. So I need to do it on Monday or earlier. I need to do this and that. And like my first week or two, uh... We're very busy, very overwhelming. And in the middle of that, I was like, hmm, how do I, how do I find time to make a video in, in between all of this and a podcast or second channel content? And very quickly, I was like, oh, well, we're just going to have to accept that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be posting less 
until I'm done in mid-December. So cheers. I hope it flies by because I'm, I'm just ready to be finished, ready to graduate, ready to move on and be able to focus on YouTube work. But actually, the classes are pretty interesting. Um, I don't think I'll tell you guys quite yet exactly which classes I'm in. It's kind of funny because while I was going to this school, I've only said that I go to a CUNY, a City University of New York college, but I haven't said which one because I didn't want anyone to know like which campus I go to, you know, personal privacy and all that. Um, not that I expect you guys to stalk me or anything, but it's just a good idea on the internet to not state your exact whereabouts, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I haven't mentioned which college I go to. And now I'm like, well, it is my last semester and it's virtual, so I could say it, but I'd rather not yet. Maybe I'll reveal it soon. College reveal. <laughs> it's going to be very anticlimactic because I'm sure most of you don't like are not familiar with the CUNY system, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you my exact courses, but you might be able to perhaps guess uh, which classes I'm taking, essentially, based on the movies that I'm watching. So for today's podcast, that was a very long intro, um, we're basically going to be talking about all of the media that I've consumed, because if you're familiar with this podcast, I used to do a lot of like Netflix reviews and, you know, I'd talk about movies and shows that I've watched, and I have consumed that type of media, but I also have all of these required films that I might as well tell you about because I have had to watch them. Some of them I've enjoyed, some of them I have not so much enjoyed, so we'll talk about it. Let me take a break because I feel like I'm already getting that like, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to control the mouth noises because like even if I like move my tongue too fast or I don't know, how do mouth noises work? If I do anything too fast, the mic picks it up and I don't want to do that. So I want to spare you guys, but then I keep like choking. Do you ever, cho do you ever choke on your own tongue? <laughs> I don't know, just questions. Uh, so I'm gonna take a break real quick so I can maybe drink some water and sound a little bit better, but uh, I'm not paying too much attention to my mouth noises. You are. Sorry, I'm getting back into the swing of podcasting and uh, <laughs> I can't help but be hyper aware. So I'm going to stop apologizing and I'm going to stop criticizing myself. And then we're just going to talk a lot about all of the things that I've watched and listened to recently. Okay, bye for a moment. And we're back. So again, I'm sorry. I, I said I wouldn't apologize, but here I am. Uh, and again, talking about mouth noises really quick because that's all I can pay attention to. Attention to. Oh, God. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. I just drank a little bit of water and I've just realized quite how parched I am. I'm very thirsty. I've been getting back on my hydration, you know, wagon because as many of you know, I'm bad at drinking water. It's been a... a a years long battle for me to force myself to drink enough water to not be extremely dehydrated every day. So I'm pretty good at it throughout the week. And then it gets to the weekend and Nathan and I get coffee and then we have some wine or we have some beers at home and then, and then I don't drink water. So I'm particularly uh, dehydrated today because yesterday 
We did a lot. We ate a lot of great food. We drank a lot of good stuff, but I did not drink enough water. And then I made another mistake today. And like I mentioned to D'Angelo on the last podcast, apparently you're not supposed to drink coffee before recording a podcast. And like, you're supposed to make sure you're really hydrated so your mouth is nice and moist. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) But I didn't do that. I drank coffee right before this. And the water that I'm trying to drink now, desperately, is not going to instantly moisturize my palate, if you get what I'm saying. So, oh well, it's fine. Anyway, I also have another gross thing to talk about, so I apologize. If anyone is disgusted by the concept of a foot peel, please skip ahead a few minutes, okay? I'm giving you your warning now, foot peel warning. Uh, I did a foot peel. (laughs) I added all these random things to my podcast idea list. I was like, oh, what should I talk about? What should I update the people on? Like, I haven't really talked to you guys in months. And I was like, oh, I did a foot peel. Let's tell the people about that. Um... I don't know how I got tempted to do a foot peel recently, but over the summer, I was like, huh, I'd like to do a foot peel. Try one of those little masks, like baby foot, that like use a chemical exfoliant peel thing, and then your whole foot peels off, essentially. So I told Nathan about this. I was like, hey, do you want one? I bought us a matching pair of foot peel socks. (laughs) And then finally, it comes to the day, and he's like, wait. What is this going to be like? So I showed him a video and he was horrified because obviously like the bottom of someone's whole foot was like peeling off. Ew. And then suddenly he dipped and he did not want to do it. So I did a little, I did it alone. And, um, you know, I knew what to expect. I knew you've got to soak first and then you do the foot mask. For those of you who don't know, there are these like little, they're like these little plastic booties that you put your foot into. It's full of the chemical stuff and it just feels all jelly and then you like tape your foot shut and you put regular socks over it so that you don't slip all the way around and then you wait like an hour (laughs) for me I waited like an hour 20 I think and then you wash it off and then within a few days you feel your foot start to get like tight like the skin feels tight and then it feels kind of ticklish like almost when you get a sunburn and then it starts to peel And that's fun, and it lasts so long. So I think mine took probably 10 days for most of the peeling to finish, and that was not great. I don't know what I expected. At first I was like, oh cool, and then I was like, ew, this is gross. And then just every time I took my socks off, or every time I had to shower, or try to take a bath, I was confronted by my peeling feet. So, um, yeah, sorry. I don't think anybody wanted to hear about this, (laughs) but it was on my list. And I just wanted to say, it's finally done. And I'm so glad because it actually was quite inconvenient. And I don't think it was that worth it because by the end, I couldn't tell if my feet were actually that much softer. I mean, I'm sure they are a bit because like they lost a whole layer of skin. (laughs) But like, was it worth it? I don't think so. It says on the box, like, don't do this more than monthly. And I was like, ew, if you're doing a foot peel monthly, that means about half of every month is spent peeling. And then you are fine for two weeks and then you do it again? No, thank you. So you will not catch me doing another foot mask anytime soon. I'll probably have to wait at least another year and then I'll forget how bad this was and then I'll try it out again. 
Oh no, my throat's so dry. Oh God. I love having a podcast and just being so bad at all of the parts of podcasting that are so basic, like having a good mic and not choking mid-podcast, but it's fine. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with my media consumption. First, I want to say music. I've got to give a shout out to Haley Blay. I'm actually wearing her old merch. That was not intentional. I just happened to wear it today, but... This is for uh, Let Yourself Go, which was her last EP from about two years ago. Haley is a friend of mine. I met her through YouTube probably back in like 2014, 2015. And then we met and then, you know, went to VidCon a couple years in a row. And yeah, Haley is a great person. She's a really fucking hilarious YouTuber. And she's also an extremely talented musician. She's a singer-songwriter. She plays piano. She plays guitar. What a talent. Um, And so I've been a really big fan of hers, and I'm a big cheerleader of all of her content, including her music. So she finally came out with her first ever full-length album, and I was so excited. Um, The last time I saw her was what, last May, May of 2019. She was on a tour and I got to see one of her shows in New York and it was really great. And um, she had performed a few songs that I hadn't heard because they were unreleased. And some of them are from the album that was just put out. So I was really excited to hear the songs again and be able to sit and (laughs) listen to them on repeat. So um, the album is called Below the Salt. And I'm trying to remember, like, which of my songs is the favorite. What am I saying? (laughs) What did I just say? Which of the songs is my favorite? They're not my songs. Um, But I actually, I love so many of them. That's very cliche to say. They're all so good in different ways. But um, she worked with Tennis, if you know of Tennis. I love their music. She worked with them to produce a few of the songs. I think three or four are produced by Tennis. And that was just iconic to me because, again, they're one of my favorite bands, groups, duos. So that influence is very cool. Let me, I'm trying to find the album so that I can at least uh, pull up maybe which ones are my favorites. I'm going to have to decide on the spot. So this is stressful. She had a few singles that I feel like they take me a little while for me to get hooked. Like I first listen and I'm like, oh, this is great. But then I keep listening and then they're like stuck in my head for months. And that's how each of these singles are. So um, I feel like I'm just always singing one of Haley's songs just forever. And in, in every one of my like Spotify wrapped top year playlists, her songs always, always make the cut. So yeah, big fan. <laughs> um... I've really loved Be Your Own Muse, especially since the music video came out. It's beautiful. It is uh, directed by her partner, Jake. It's gorgeous, stunning, lovely, and I love that song. Um, I do love Firestarter. That's a lot of people's favorite because it has this like really great belting moment and it's just beautiful. I also love, um, oh God. I love them all. That's so basic of me to say, but I love them all. It's fine. So if you're looking for a new album to check out, look at Haley. Um, Haley Blay, Below the Salts. <laughs> Big fan. I actually bought um, her latest merch. I bought a t-shirt and then I bought a record. And I don't even have a record player yet, but just 
her record made me like, oh yeah, I need to buy that and I need to buy a record player. So I was gonna ask Nathan to get me a record player for my birthday, which is October 5th. Put it on your calendar. Um, so I don't know if I'm gonna do that, but I guess I should because I'm not gonna be able to listen to the record otherwise. I'm gonna get my record player. I'm gonna have that one Haley Blay record and nothing else, which honestly, I'm totally fine with. I'm, I'm very overwhelmed at the thought of starting a record collection. It's such a major thing. And also like just learning how record players work. Like I know, number one tip, you have to um, store your vinyls upright so that they don't get warped, but that's pretty much all I know. So if you have any record record player tips, record parenting, vinyl owner tips, let me know. Thanks so much. <laughs> so yeah, shouts out to Haley. Um, okay, and also podcasts, podcasts. This summer, I was upstate for most of the time, and that was really nice, and I got to drive, because I don't drive down here in the city. Um, I don't have a car, but Nathan does, and he has to drive to work every day, but I don't like driving in the city. <laughs> it scares me. I can drive a little bit, like, on Long Island, because I got used to that while we lived there, but, um, yeah, no, you're not going to catch me driving much down here, but when we go upstate, it's not even that far upstate. It's in the Catskills. When we go up there, which is like three hours away, um, I like to drive around there because it's easy and it's not scary to me. So while we were up there, I always end up driving a lot to get food and coffee because you know me, that's all I'm ever focused on. What's my next meal? When can I get food? Are there good vegan options? If not, I'm going <laughs> to get something. So uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time driving. It's kind of like it's really relaxing. I miss driving. I used to love um, when I first got my car when I was like 17. I used to like drive to the beach. I would drive along PCH. I would just park and sit in my car and like watch the sunset by myself. So I miss driving. I really do enjoy like a nice relaxing drive. So yes, I was driving a lot this summer and it was really beautiful because the Catskills are just gorgeous. And I see all those beautiful trees. <laughs> cool story. Um, sorry, I'm choking. I'm like, am I choking or burping or is my mouth dry? All of the above. Who knows? Um, but I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And um, I first was listening to Crime Junkies because I had first been introduced to them last summer with um, my sister. We went on a long road trip last summer with her and her boyfriend from Michigan all the way to Arizona driving. And we stopped a few times and we would camp or stay at an Airbnb and keep driving. It was beautiful. And we listened to a lot of crime junkies. And um, <laughs> it's just, it's the funniest thing to decide that a long drive through places that you're unfamiliar with, often at night before you camp, would be a good time to listen to true crime podcasts. You know? I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but it's it's tempting. So um, yeah, I listen to a lot of crime junkies and I used to listen to them also like when I went to the gym, like if I was just doing like a little bit of cardio, it's nice to listen to a podcast sometimes. Shouts out to any of you who are at, well, hopefully you're not at a gym right now, um, but if you're working out, maybe you're going on a walk, maybe a jog, I don't know. Hi. Um, so anyway, I listened to Crime Junkies for a while. And then 
like okay first of all i know the criticisms against crime junkies i know the um the whole like plagiarism thing that they were accused of they weren't good at like citing their sources and their source material for the podcast so that's a thing and then i also i think i was paying too much attention to brit so there's two hosts ashley and brit but Ashley's the main podcast host. Like, she tells most of the story. And then Britt kind of just chimes in and goes, like, wait, what? Really? Oh, my gosh. But what about that? And, like, <laughs> after you've listened to way too many episodes, or at least me, like, I just started to just laugh every time Britt said something. And then there was one episode, at least, where they switched and Brit was the main storyteller and Ashley was the Brit. And Ashley was not good at being the Brit because she just wants to say more. So I feel like she still ended up doing a lot of the storytelling. Anyway, whatever, very niche, crime junkies. But my friend had said, hey, you have to check out My Favorite Murder. And I knew that My Favorite Murder was also a very popular uh, true crime podcast, but I'd never listened to them. And people say like, they're a little bit more like having a conversation and they joke a lot, but it like doesn't seem disrespectful, you know? <laughs> it's it's a hard uh, line to, to straddle, I guess. Like talking about true crime in a lighthearted way, um, a lot of people find it disrespectful to like the families of victims and all of that, which there's a lot to be said about that. We will not get into that in this episode um, or any of the ethics of true crime or whatever, but... I finally did start to listen to My Favorite Murder. And I, well, first I started an episode and they were just talking for like 30 minutes. And then finally they get into the their stories like 30 minutes in. And I was like, oh. So I started to just skip the beginning because I didn't really care to hear them talk <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know the host. So I like didn't have any investment. I just wanted to hear the actual true crime. So... I did that for a while, and then I swear I probably listened to at least 25 episodes of My Favorite Murder, and it ended up being my favorite. I think I prefer it over Crime Junkies now. They both serve a slightly different purpose, but I do like My Favorite Murder. I like Georgia and Karen. It took me a long time to figure out whose voice was who, and also whose face matches whose voice. If you listen to them, you know. But uh, yeah, so basically I spent my summer listening to way too many murder podcasts, true crime podcasts, and it was nice, but does it get to you when you're home alone or it's dark? Yes. Very interesting. Also, another thing, I, I started listening to Crime Junkie's uh, production company, I guess, released a new podcast called Park Predators. So I tried it out and um, <laughs> I listened to a few episodes and I swear the first like four or five were all like stories about um, women being decapitated in national parks. And I was like, oh, is this just the running theme? Like not only do women get targeted, um, but you're specifically going to get decapitated. Sorry if this was not the podcast that you wanted to hear. I'm sorry if this is uh, triggering to anyone who does not like true crime, but I find it fascinating, but I also uh, am terrified. And after listening to a few episodes of Park Predators, I was like, wow, I never want to go to a national park again if I am alone because apparently, well, yes, it's true. Women get targeted and that's great, but that's another subject. Haha. -ha. Yeah, I love being a woman and, and feeling 
vulnerable and terrified at all times. It's fine. Yeah, so <laughs> Jesus Christ. This podcast episode's tone is all over the place right now. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you, to be honest. I don't know what to tell you other than this is the ride and here we are and we're just going to keep on riding it. You know, this is the ride. Is that from Jimmy Neutron? No, 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 no. Fairly odd parents. They're on like escalators and they're like, this is the ride. That's the story. Okay. (laughs) I'm laughing so much by myself. And uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to get into my TV watching recently and also later my movies, the movies that I've watched and I have them ranked from least favorite to favorite. I have a list of 10. We'll get into it. Let's take a break real quick. back. Okay, let's get into the TV I've watched recently. For most of the summer, I actually wasn't watching any TV at all. I don't know. I was just watching a lot of YouTube, I guess, and then listening to all those podcasts, and I was full, you know? didn't really feel like I needed any Netflix, but then one day I went to go watch something, and I remembered Shameless, and I had started to watch Shameless, the U.S. version, Uh, at some point, I don't remember, in the last few years. And I think I watched a season or two, and then something happened. You know when you start, like, a long show? Like, Shameless has, like, ten seasons. So you're like, oh, I'm starting this show, I'm diving in, and then something happens and you get interrupted, and then, like, you just never return to it, or you forget that it is a thing. That's what happened with Shameless. So I got back to it, and I was like, huh, let's get back into this. Let's watch an episode. And then I became addicted. So I've been watching Shameless a lot. I mean, I, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, I'm busy quotations, because I spend so many hours a day watching Shameless that I'm like, hmm, how busy can you be? (laughs) How busy can you be if you've watched like two or three hour long episodes of Shameless today? Like I stay up late watching Shameless. It's the first thing I watch when I wake up and I'm making my breakfast in the morning. Like that's a little bit too much. I think I'm on season nine now. So I've watched a lot in the past month or two, but it's been comforting to me. And that's just what's important right now. Okay, we're in, we're still in a pandemic, we still are rather isolated. And you know, watch whatever you want that comforts you. So no complaints. And then um, Nathan and I (laughs) watched a show, which I was familiar with, because my brother, my older brother, and my mom had liked it, and they had watched it on YouTube on like YouTube premium, I guess. And that is the show Cobra Kai. And when my parents or my mom and my brother told me about the show, I was not interested at all. They were like, oh, it's the karate kid all grown up and like him and his rival like are still doing karate. (laughs) And I was just like, I'm not interested. And it's a YouTube show. So I assumed it was like not good or like It's a show that's available on YouTube Premium, and like, yes, based on the few that I've seen, the standards are not that high, so I wasn't expecting much. But then I saw it on on Netflix, and it was like ranked like number one or something in, in terms of what people were watching, and I was like, hmm. And then Nathan watched the preview, and Nathan's very picky. When we go to watch Netflix or whatever, like, I just give him the remote because I'll watch 
most things and he's he's just more picky so he'll go through all of netflix and then he'll go through amazon and hulu and be like oh i don't know what to watch so he watched the trailer for cobra kai and then he was like let's watch this and i was like oh okay and um wow so much to say about cobra kai (laughs) i don't even within the first episode i was like wow this is special and again speaking of things that are comforting to watch right now Cobra Kai, season one, amazing. How do I describe this show? Um, So we start off with, his name is Johnny. Johnny's like a 45, maybe a 50-year-old man, blonde, lives in LA, lives in like a crappy, quote-unquote, apartment, and like he's just the classic like alcoholic, like literally drinks and drives constantly, Um, and, and essentially we're like, oh, his life is ruined or whatever. Um, we also find out he has a son that he doesn't, like, care for or spend time with. So we're like, oh, this guy sucks. Cool. And then, um, his old rival, the karate kid, uh, Daniel, you know, wax on, wax off. The classic. Um, (laughs) we, we see flashbacks of the karate kid movie from the 80s. And, you know, it's the final fight where, like, Daniel is injured and then Johnny, um, is like about to win, but then Daniel makes a comeback and kicks Johnny right in the face with this cool like swan move. Sorry if you have not seen The Karate Kid, but I hope you get the gist. They are rivals, lifelong rivals. And um, essentially Johnny is still bothered by it because he keeps seeing Daniel's billboards all over town and his commercials because now Daniel is a successful car dealership owner and he's rich and he has this like dorky, catchphrase about karate what is it we it's definitely not we chop the business it's some it's some some like pun or joke involving karate that he uses in his dealership promo i don't remember sorry if that was my stomach i think it was um (laughs) so it's just so funny because johnny as a character is so exaggerated and so terrible like he's such an asshole he's such a misogynist he's so sexist he's terribly homophobic and racist and like all within the first episode you find this out and you're just like wow this guy's so bad that like how is it possible that this is even a show but um the show does acknowledge it like these other characters will like call him out for being shitty and so, like, it's not unacknowledged, um, but it's it is funny just how bad of a character he is, and how like like what is he, he always says like something's like badass, and like to hear like a fifty year old washed up man be like yeah like my red car's badass, or like he'll be like he's just so stereotypically terrible, like it it totally. He acts like he's stuck in the 80s in terms of, like, every conservative shitty standard that was in place. And it's like this man hasn't lived. Like, he he was a child in the 80s, and then he woke up as a grown man in 2019 or whatever. So, I don't know. For some reason, Nathan and I found it hilarious. And, (laughs) like, the show just has so many, like, cliches and tropes that, like it's enjoyable in an ironic way. And then of course we got invested and we blew through season one really quick and then we watched season two. And yeah, so now I, I don't know, am I a Cobra Kai stan? I might be. (laughs) 
Oh God. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Have any Have any of you watched Cobra Kai? Please let me know because I I don't know. Maybe you didn't have the same reaction. Maybe his disturbing characteristics and traits were too much for you. But I found it again funny that a character could be so bad and so unlikable. I don't know. It's just an interesting choice in terms of writing. I get that he's supposed to be the bully, like all grown up, and like the irony, or I guess like the karma is like, oh, like shitty high school bully remains shitty and he's still a terrible person and 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 the world has spited him because he's not successful. And like, if you're the good guy like Daniel, then you'll be successful. I don't know. Is that the point? I don't know. <laughs> and the last show that we started watching after that, which was also highly recommended, was Selling Sunset. I had seen some people like tweeting about it, and I think Amanda Beebe made a video like um, talking about Selling Sunset, and I hadn't watched it, but I was like, hmm, do I want to watch like a like reality show about real estate? I don't know. And I had seen the promos, and I was just like, meh. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of reality show like that. Um, what did I just say? I don't watch a lot of that type of reality show, okay? But we started it, and yes, I loved it. Again, it's it's like kind of in this guilty pleasure sense, obviously, where it's like you're watching them and you're supposed to like hate these women for being what, like superficial or conceited or catty or like always focused on drama or they're too materialistic or whatever. And um, in one sense, it sucks to see that like be relied on so heavily in reality TV. Like um, it's like the Real Housewives, like the whole joke of watching the Real Housewives is like seeing how ironic it is that like these rich women like think that they're so like, like, high society when like really they're very like like the most popular ones are like quote-unquote trashy or um just the fact that this show is called real housewives and like they're not actual housewives like they don't do housework they're not like primarily parenting their children anyway like the the joke the gag is that the the women are the joke like they're so exaggerated and rich and like they don't even realize how stupid they look. So anyway, there's like that whole side of it, which like, of course it's entertaining television, but it's also like, hmm, do I want to watch this like show that feeds off of making these women look bad? But then it's also like, well, it's their choices and like, I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> conflicted. But yeah, I kind of felt that way about Selling Sunset too is like, um, of course, the way that reality TV is edited, people are made to look a certain way and like producers can ultimately decide how they want each character to look. So like, oh, you're the villain this season. You're the sweet one. You're the the mean one. I don't know. So <laughs> anyway, whatever. Aside from my actual analysis of how it's created, is it an entertaining show? Yes. Um, Nathan and I got hooked. It's, it is fascinating to see these massive homes. It's just crazy to imagine like living in LA and not only being able to afford a house, but like to afford a $5 million house in the Hollywood Hills or like a $10 million mansion in Beverly Hills or even like, you know, million dollar homes in the multi-million dollar homes, in the valley, whatever, wherever you are. And then in season one, when they're building this $40 million 
20,000 square foot mansion with a wraparound moat pool in Hollywood Hills that is so big that the city outlaws it and says that no other homes that big can ever be made again. It's just like, it's so obnoxious. And again, it's like the Real Housewives. It's fascinating to watch rich people and it's fascinating to see, you know, how the, you know, 1% live and people who have so much fucking money that it's crazy. It's like, I don't know, you feel conflicted because like on one hand, everyone's like, oh, like, (laughs) most people are broke right now. Most people can barely afford their rent. Meanwhile, these rich ass people are just like buying properties for fun. I don't know. So there's that side of it. And then of course there's like, well, like the interesting thing is like the real estate agents, the actual women are not rich, at least in season one. Like I'm sure they're doing well, but like they're not rich, rich, like they don't all live in these $5 million mansions yet. Um, So like, we're kind of, we're definitely, we villainize the rich, like the people buying the houses, but they're not really even the focus of the show. So like, I feel like it's a misplaced anger on the real estate agents, but that's a theory that I'll have to get into later. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I was I, While I was watching the show, I kept Googling, like, I was trying to understand how real estate commission works. I was like, okay, if their commission is this much, then, like, how much does the brokerage get? How much does the actual individual real estate agent get out of these sales? Obviously, they're, like, way bigger commissions than if the houses were like a few hundred thousand dollars, which is the norm in like most places across the country. So it's just interesting, like, oh, these are, ter- these are clearly like top tier real estate agents relatively because most real estate agents do not get to sell um, multi-million dollar homes. So anyway, yeah, it's interesting. The villainization of everyone. I mean, like, obviously, right off the bat, Christine is evil. And like, you're just like, I don't know. I, on one hand, I guess admire that Christine can be so honest. And like, she's always like, I'm up front. Like, if I have a problem with you, I'll just tell you, I'll just talk to you, which like, okay, I'm not a very confrontational person. So like, I would never, but also they're so petty. And like, again, I know this is reality TV. I know it's probably at least partially scripted and that the producers tell them to have these confrontations, but it always makes me laugh because it's always like a special event, like someone's birthday dinner or like an anniversary or a whatever, like an engagement party. It's always a special occasion. And then like all of these fights start because they're like, oh, like what better time to bring this up than now? Wait, what better time to bring up this drama over someone saying something than at so-and-so's party? Like, no, worst time to bring that up, excuse me. Um, And I love that they all confront each other in front of the whole group. It's just, it's so funny. And again, it's, it's completely staged. It's reality TV, but it is just still fascinating to watch. (laughs) And like, uh, every time I'm like, why am I watching this? Why am I getting involved? Why do I care? But also, I don't know. Why do we, why are we entertained by reality TV? That's not really reality at all. It's just, it is entertaining. It is fascinating to watch. So yeah, I don't know. We just finished uh, season three. So we're done with that now until the next season comes out. (sighs) 
every every week we have a show, we blow through it, and then it's like, oh, what next? I actually do. We've already started another show, but I will leave that until next week because I'm sure we're going to watch it really quickly this week, and then hopefully by my next podcast episode, I can tell you guys about that one. So yeah, that's what I've been watching on Netflix at least. And finally, I have my list of movies. Okay, so again, I am taking like five film and media classes. And so we're watching a lot of movies in each class. And um, sorry, burping. We love it. Um, Hopefully silently. (laughs) Uh, So yes, in all my classes, we have to watch a lot of movies. And um, I'm so tired of it. I did a film minor because like, it was just the most convenient based on the classes that I've already taken. Um, so yeah, I just thought, okay, I'll do that. But really like I switched my major from film production to media studies for a reason, because I'm not that interested in film. I don't know. That probably doesn't make sense because again, film and media are so closely related, but like, uh, I've just watched so many (laughs) films. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not a huge fan of classic films. I'm not super interested in classic filmmaking or classic directors or like the golden age of Hollywood. Like I get it in terms of the importance in filmmaking, like totally get it. History, yes, but also I'm bored of it. And again, as I mentioned in the last podcast with D'Angelo, I've taken a lot of like intro to film classes, film history classes over the years. And like, I feel like I've just, I've heard it and I've seen it, but these are new movies. A lot of them I haven't seen. So at least they're different. But in a lot of my classes, we're going all the way back to like, you know, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. And most of those films, I just don't tend to find very entertaining personally. Again, I can watch them. I can appreciate the, you know, the new technologies or like groundbreaking, you know, (laughs) groundbreaking skills or new things or directors that are important for various reasons. I can appreciate that. But when I watch a film, even though I have been a film major and I'm a media studies major, I still primarily, when I watch something, judge it based off of just if I enjoy it. Did I enjoy it? Did I like this movie? Did I have a good time watching it? Um, I, I could give things different ratings based off of like the directing or the cinematography or the acting or whatever, more technical things or like judging the plot and the story and the writing. But I just don't like to be that picky <laughs> when I'm watching something. I still do like to just watch stuff uh, for enjoyment primarily. So again, of course, in my classes, I have to write like I have to like analyze films or I have to, you know, think a little more critically. Uh, But yeah, sometimes I just don't want to do that. I just want to watch a movie and be like, yeah, cool. Four stars. So I'm going to tell you about the movies and I'm going to give you my rankings. I've been putting them on Letterboxd. If you want to follow me on there, I think I'm Tiffany Ferg or maybe I'm Tiffany the Prez. Let me check. I like to track every movie that I watch and I give it a little rating Um, just because it's fun to keep track of how many movies I've watched over the years, and I don't know. (laughs) So, oh, it's Tiffany the Prez. So, if you want to watch, 
if you want to add me on there, then go ahead. I don't ever really leave any reviews because again, I'd rather like, it's already hard enough to rank them based on out of five stars, um, but I do. And then, yeah, I just don't really feel like leaving a review usually. Like I don't want to take that much time for something that's just for a social media app. I'm the same way on Goodreads too. It's like, I like to track my reading. I like to track my rankings or my writings. Um, but I don't usually leave a review unless I'm like very compelled. So we'll see. Okay. So I have a list of 10 movies and I'm going to tell you them from least favorite to favorite. So here we go. First, I have Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, I, I'm <laughs> in my notes, I did not include like the director or um, the actor's names or the character's names even. So I probably should have done that. It would have been easier to give you a little uh, summary. But I'm just going to tell you what I remember because that's what's most important. I actually watched these movies a few weeks ago now. So uh, my memory is even less fresh. So I probably will not remember many details. But Bonnie and Clyde, okay. First of all, I ranked it 2.5 stars. Um, why did I dislike this? Well, it was okay. I think it was a little long, um, but basically this movie is famous and well-known because it, at the time, was like one of the most violent films and it showed a lot more direct violence and like blood than films at that time had because of all of the Hollywood film codes and all of the restrictions on showing violence in films. So yes, I think the I think the codes had just been relaxed. And so when this film came out, it was still like very shocking and very um, considered to be very, let me wake up my computer. Hello. <laughs> you can hear every little thing that I do. Um, yeah, it was just considered to be very shocking and like, you know, people were worried, like, what does violence in films, like, does it encourage people to be violent? Does it desensitize viewers? Which are valid questions to consider, like, how do these films affect society? How does media affect society? But overall, I just didn't enjoy the movie. I didn't feel very intrigued. Um, I can appreciate it, again, for the significance of the time and for the artistry. But again, in terms of personal enjoyment, not so much. 2.5 2.5 stars. Sorry, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, my next film is Five Easy Pieces from 1970, and I gave it three stars, which I feel like is a little bit generous because thinking back, I don't think I enjoyed it very much either, but oh well. So Five Easy Pieces, uh, it's a very early Jack Nicholson film. He, the peak of his career was pretty much the 70s and 80s. Um, but yeah, I mean, so 70s film is essentially about... Um, <laughs> this is so dumb. I'm like already forgetting what I'm saying. It's kind of about like rebelling against the status quo. There's a lot of like anti-war sentiment um, during and after the Vietnam War. So... Yeah, a lot of 70s film or around that whole era was like like road trip movies and <laughs> I don't know how to explain this. It's kind of like, yeah, like people just feeling very, um, very, 
I can't think of the right words. Wow, sounding very impressive right now. They just weren't, they weren't into mainstream society. And like everything was so conservative at that time. So like this is all about people just wanting to escape and um, just get out of confinement and kind of resist the status quo, as I said. I don't know. So anyway, Five Easy Pieces is a road trip movie, essentially. And I, I like Jack Nicholson as an actor, but I also get a little bit creeped out because like his... His roles, again, especially in the 70s and 80s, were, like, he's, like, that, like, tough kind of scary guy. Um, <laughs> and, like, I don't know. I just... He's he's such a good actor, but it's, like, a little bit creepy to watch because he can be so mean. Like, in Five Easy Pieces, he's, like, pretty mean to his girlfriend. And it's just, like, it's not, like, enjoyable to watch, but it is impressive in terms of acting. Anyway, that is Five Easy Pieces. Three stars. Next film is The Heiress, 1949. I gave this one three stars as well. So The Heiress is... uh, Olivia de Havilland is in that. And um, it's basically about this young heiress. Or not so young, but, you know, an heiress who... um, lives in New York, and she uh, is part of the elite society, and she comes from a wealthy family, and she will inherit a lot of money when her father passes, but she is single, and she is portrayed as, like, awkward, and, um, you know, she's not very charming, she doesn't seem very beautiful, so, like, her father, you know, thinks she's gonna be alone for the rest of her life, whatever. (laughs) So uh, she meets a man and the man is beautiful and he's very interested in her. And like, then he's like, we should get married. And um, her dad is against it because her dad thinks that the guy just wants to marry her for her money. And so the film is all about that. (laughs) And like, you know, love and like doubting people's intentions and like having controlling family who want to um, influence your decisions or don't want you to, like, embarrass the family or whatever. There's a lot that goes into that. I generally, I enjoyed that film a lot more than I expected to. Um, but yeah, I gave it three stars. You know, it was, it was something. (laughs) Next was Peeping Tom from 1960. I gave it 3.5 stars. This one is interesting. Uh, It's a British film. I can't remember the director's name right now, but he's often called the British, or isn't Hitchcock British as well? Well, Peeping Tom is called the British Psycho, even though I think it came out before Psycho. So Peeping Tom was one of those movies, again, that was... um, criticized very heavily for being so violent and essentially the film is about the gays the male gays and it's very on the nose uh the movie's called peeping tom so there's this guy he works in film by day and he takes like adult portraits by night and he also is a serial killer and um so yeah i don't want to spoil it um because i actually did enjoy that film but uh yeah it's about the male gays (laughs) primarily. It's also about like, it's one of those classic like movies about making movies. It's about like voyeurism. So 
it was interesting. I enjoyed it. And it was fairly scary. It is definitely a very creepy movie to watch. So if you're into kind of older horror, I would definitely check that out. Peeping Tom, 1960, 3.5 stars. Next, we have Hearts and Minds, 1974. I rated it 3.5 stars. This is a documentary about the Vietnam War. So um, I feel like I don't really know that much detail about the Vietnam War, um, which always surprises me because like, you know, (laughs) why am I surprised? But every time I realize how little I know about these very important um, historical events and periods, like, I'm like, how did I not learn more about this in all of my years of history classes? But then I'm like, oh, the American education system especially in terms of history, is not great, usually not very accurate, and doesn't tend to show, uh, especially the sides of history that paint America in a bad light, which is more accurate. So anyway, I also just think like I haven't done very much personal research on the Vietnam War. So yes, this documentary was very interesting. It was very informative. Um, It's also very hard to watch. It shows a lot of um, violence and like graphic uh, real footage of people uh, who are dead and dying and injured, especially Vietnamese people. So definitely a content warning for that. Um, you know, war documentaries tend to be quite heavy, but yeah, it was very interesting. It it it's shows a lot of um, a lot of like American leadership and what they were saying about the war and how essential it was, and you know. Then it shows um, American soldiers, veterans, who talked about, you know, how they felt so compelled to fight. And then later on, they turn into anti-war activists because they realize that that whole war was essentially for nothing. And it was just so, so completely unnecessary and so devastating. And um, yeah, so very interesting documentary. If you would like to learn more about the Vietnam War. Hearts and Minds. Next was The Age of Innocence, 1993. Four stars, which mm, we'll get into it. Um, that is a Martin Scorsese, Scorsese. I still don't know how to pronounce it. Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Oh, God. Again, I'm a film student and I don't know how to pronounce Scorsese. I've heard people say Scorsese. And then I feel like recently I've heard people say Scorsese. And so now I don't know what to do. But The Age of Innocence uh, is interesting. It's a historical... Oops, hold on, my camera stopped. The Age of Innocence is a historical, like, period piece kind of film. It is based on the novel by Edith Wharton, and it's about upper-class society in New York in the 19th century. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, It's a romance, I guess, romantic drama. And again, Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, I told my mom to watch this movie because she said Michelle Pfeiffer is one of her favorite actresses. So my mom watched it and she enjoyed it. But um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know about my rating for this one. I gave it four stars because it's like, it's a classic. And Scorsese often says that this is his favorite film that he's ever made. Um, but it's it's not one of the ones that he's most well-known for, so that's interesting. But um, yeah, I, I think it was a little bit long. Also, Winona Ryder is in it, and Daniel Day-Lewis, so great actors. 
But um, yeah, I think it was a little bit long. I find it, I found it a little bit hard to focus. Um, but now that I'm going back and like reviewing specific scenes from that film, I'm admiring it more. So that might have influenced my rating a little bit. Because again, in terms of personal enjoyment during the first watch of it, I was like, mm, I liked it, you know. But I don't know. <laughs> it's so hard to rate things, especially comparing them to other films. But basically in that class, we're doing a deep dive about this film specifically. So I figured if I'm going to have to keep thinking about it, watching it, writing about it throughout the semester, I might as well enjoy it or learn to enjoy it. So yeah, The Age of Innocence, 1993. Next up, we're getting almost to the end, almost. Next up is Night of the Living Dead, 1968, four stars. This one, I actually, I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected. Again, I tend to assume that like, I'm not gonna enjoy older films, which is hilarious saying like the 60s is like old films, but like, I don't know, sometimes it really depends. It depends on the film. But Night of the Living Dead, this is a, a classic horror film. I had never seen it before, so I watched it and I actually really enjoyed it. It's like the OG zombie movie, except the director did not call them zombies, he called them ghouls. And that was like the whole concept of the living dead. And it was interesting because we learned a little bit about um, the zombie trope and how that actually was like a racist thing. Because I think, sorry, I'm not gonna be able to explain this fully accurately, but we had learned that essentially, um, future me cutting in with a little bit of information really quickly, so I don't want to misexplain this, but essentially the history of zombies has roots back in Haiti and uh, connections to voodoo. So essentially um, zombies were considered to be under voodoo spells essentially, and there are a lot of connections to the enslavement of black people. So typically zombies were black people and there are a lot of connections between being a slave and being a zombie, essentially under the control of your white master. So there's a lot of racial uh, history and implications in the concept of zombies, and it's important to recognize that. Um, so it's interesting to see how zombies have evolved in pop culture, especially in the last few decades. But in the US, that really mostly began with this film, Night of the Living Dead. So I'd recommend you guys read more about that because it's very interesting and there's so much more that I probably did not explain very well. So check it out. And by the way, sorry for saying essentially a dozen times in that little statement. Essentially, uh, essentially, essentially, essentially that. Okay, back to it. So that's, that's a lot. But the interesting thing about Night of the Living Dead is that, um, all of the characters except one are white and the main protagonist is black and he's definitely the best character. He's the most, you know, calm. He has the best plans for everyone in terms of how to fight the ghouls. And um, yeah, it's very interesting. Why can't I remember the character's name? I can't remember. I should have taken notes for this, but uh, it's funny that the director of Night of the Living Dead says like, they just happened to cast this guy, this black man as the lead, but they hadn't written it 
to be a black character necessarily. So um, he had said like he didn't realize that it would have such an impact as the movie did, but it it for a while became known as like a black movie because the protagonist is a black man. And also the film came out, I think right after or soon after the assassination of Martin Luther King. So um, yeah, it just, it just became viewed to be as more of a political movie, um, which I think like, yes, casting a black actor for this role is a political decision, whether or not you actively think of it as one. And it does, of course, essentially change the way that audiences will respond to the movie. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend you guys watching that movie if you haven't. It is a, a good horror movie. It's like a classic. Um, again, I've said I don't usually love classic movies, but it, that's like a classic horror is something that I'm beginning, beginning to appreciate. So you can hear my voices going. That's really fun. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. I also recommend reading about the, um, yeah, the lead actor, the character, and the impact of happening to choose to have a black leading role. Very, very interesting. Then we have Letter to an Unknown Woman, 1948, four stars. And um, this one, essentially, this man gets a letter from an unknown woman. And, uh, and she writes to him and essentially says she's been in love with him for her whole life. And so the letter goes through that and her letter narrates the whole film and we have flashbacks and we go back and see her whole life and his life and their, the times that they have met. And yeah, it was an interesting movie. Uh, I did enjoy it. It's like a, it's a bit of a melodramatic romance, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't have much to say about it, but check it out. Then we have my last two. Rosemary's Baby, 1968, 4.5 stars. So this was my first time seeing Rosemary's Baby. I think I had not seen any of the movies on this list before. So all of these were my first watch, first impressions. Rosemary's Baby is a very classic horror film. It is a very, it has a lot of um, gothic elements. Basically the plot of Rosemary's Baby, if you're not familiar, is that this a young couple moves into this like kind of spooky building in New York and then they get pregnant and then she realizes um, there's like essentially a satanic cult, you know, like her neighbors are satanic worshipers. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of gothic elements, a lot of like really great um, gothic visuals in terms of like the building and a lot, a lot of the motifs. And then um, obviously the whole element of like Satan worship and I don't wanna ruin the plot. I don't know what's a spoiler for Rosemary's Baby because it's such a, an old classic film, but I actually enjoyed it a lot and uh, it was very scary. And uh, yeah, 4.5 stars, <laughs> Rosemary's Baby, check it out. And then probably the one that you'll be most surprised to know that I had not seen Alien, 1979, 4.5 stars. Yes, I had not seen Alien before, and I don't know. There are a lot of, you know, high-ranked, like, best movies of all time that I have not seen before, because I usually don't go out of my way to watch them unless I'm forced to in a class, so I'm glad that I was. And uh, I watched Alien with Nathan. He's seen it, you know, 
dozens of times. So he kind of got to just sit there and watch me watch it. But I mean, wow, it was really, really great. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, what can I say? It's like literally considered a classic horror film. Uh, I would like to watch the sequel and all the other Alien movies. There are so many. But yes, the first Alien, I mean, a lot of suspense, a lot of beautiful uh, cinematography. The performances are great. The actual Alien is terrifying. And I gave it 4.5 stars. I really liked it. So it was my top movie of my first week of uh, movies class required watchings. Okay, as you can hear, I am losing my voice. So I'm going to end it here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm, uh, again, I'm sorry to apologize, but I apologize for all of my apologies and my mouth noises and uh, all the gross and possibly disturbing tangents that I went on in this episode. But if you listen to the end, you probably didn't mind too much. Uh, if you guys have any questions or suggested topics or anything for the ne next episode, feel free to comment or leave them anytime in the comments or you can message me on Instagram or you know, tweet me out on Twitter or something. Okay. So that is that. Stay tuned. And I hope that I have a next episode for you guys soon. Thanks so much. Have a good week. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Drink some water. Drink water, please. Okay. Thanks. Bye.